Philip Taylor from PTMoney.com. You're listening to the Part-Time Money Podcast. Today I have the privilege of speaking with Mr. Sean Hopwood. Sean started DayTranslations.com. It's an international translation service company. Uh, So if you need something to put in a different language, he can do it for you. Um, Sean speaks five languages himself, so he really knows the business and... He started this uh, on the side while he uh, had another full-time job, so I'm anxious to hear all about the translation business, uh, how he's seemed to have grown this business fairly rapidly, and then uh, how he managed to do that uh, while maintaining a, a full-time job. So, Sean, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. So, my first question is always, how did you get started making some part-time money? Okay, well, as uh, most people who start a, a company and that make them successful, they do something they're passionate about. I've always been passionate about languages. One moment. Can you hold one moment, please? Yeah, no problem. Go ahead. Okay, thanks. All right. All right, so there was someone coming in. <laughs> I told them that. Okay, yeah, I'm here at the office. So um, I always, uh, I was always passionate about languages, so I decided to well, I, I had always had jobs that had to do with languages, as my grandfather had always told me, do what you love, do what you're interested in. And so I worked as an interpreter at a law firm. I worked as a translator also at the law firm. I worked in um, a, a program in the, at a university, a university where I would, I would do outreach for um, people, Hispanics, um, trying to get them to go into college. So I had always done something that I loved. And um, the last job uh, where I had, where I where I worked part time, at the uh, I worked part time at I worked no I worked full time at a hospital, and I also basically I was I worked full time trying to start my own business as well. I worked at a hospital as an interpreter, uh, mainly for Spanish and French, and um, my Arabic is basic, but I was able to interpret for Arabic people too. This was one of uh, this was a very it's one. It's a very important hospital, and so people would fly in from the Middle East to get treatments and stuff like that. And um, and so I, I, I did what I loved. Um, but a lot of people, you know, they want to have more control over their future. They want to have more control over their money. So um, that's where the entrepreneurial spirit comes out. Uh, I would work probably from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the hospital, and then. I would uh, go, I would, uh, well, on my breaks, I would make calls, I would, uh, I would, uh, I would do emails on my Blackberry, you know, a lot of stuff like that on my breaks, and then, and then, um, then at at 5 o'clock, I would go have dinner, and then I would work from, you know, 5 till 4 in the morning, or 3 in the morning, so basically two, and two full-time jobs, and I was, and I mean that has influenced me up until now because I'm still working till four or five in the morning every day, but now I'm also working from seven to four. So, you know, um, so you know I work about uh, fifteen, sixteen hours a day, and um, but that beginning of working part time actually gives you a good work ethic because you have to really learn how to organize your time, and you know, and and manage everything really well. And, and that's what I learned uh, working part time. Um, as an addition to that, before I worked at the, um, at the at the hospital, I worked at a law firm, and that's where I really got the idea that I wanted to start doing my own translation company. And there's so many possibilities for it. 
um, because of the, I mean, just the immigration laws they're passing now. I mean, I would we would do we would do a lot of you know cases for Hispanics, uh, and you know they need they need to get immigration. They needed their visas translated. They needed their, their they need to get their visa. They need to get their birth certificates translated, their marriage license, and stuff like that. So I saw the demand there, and that's where I started. Right. And then. And then it just takes a really it takes a lot of work and a really long time to you know to get it up and running. So yeah. you know, after working in hospitals when I got it running. Gotcha. I'm excited to get into it with you. It sounds like a great story and perfect for the podcast. So great. for folks out there who don't know what your company does, tell them what Day Translations does. Day Translations is an interpreting and translation firm, first and foremost. Um, and and as a large company and as we, I mean, as a growing company, as we've been growing, I always try to diversify the services that we offer. So we do subtitles for movies now. We do the actual subtitling and it took a while to get to learn how to do that. We do um, voiceovers for movies. We do document legalization, which is called apostille in some places, where it's basically legalizing a document from one country to another. So if you have, if you are, um, if you're, a, if you're a corporation in Mexico and you want to have a subsidiary in the United States, you have to get your documents legalized um, to incorporate in the United States. And we do that as well. So there's a, little, a lot of little side uh, things that, that all relate to language that we do. Um, and one of the main things we're trying to focus on now is uh, phone interpreting for hospitals. That's, that's something that's really high in demand where, you know, someone will come into the emergency room or someone will need... Um, you know, an examination, and they don't want to bring an interpreter in, uh, which we do offer. But it's a lot more easy for them just to, you know, have someone they can call up and uh, get gotcha. an interpreter on the line and then hang up. It saves them a lot of money, and it saves a lot of uh, liability issues in the hospitals, which, which is a, it's it's a growing trend. Is um, law firms and hospitals are trying to um, reduce their own liability uh, for interpreters by outsourcing that. And so that's where we come in because, like, we're very confident in what we do. So we've always said, definitely, you know, we'll take responsibility for this because this is what we do. Yeah. So it sounds like you have a broad array of clients, and that that uh, that's diversifying uh, on a regular basis. But who would you say your primary uh, customer is? Um, I would say that our primary, the customers that we receive are primarily law firms. Uh, we're really we're really targeting um, um, hospitals, and we have a we we have several several individuals as well. So we treat the private sector, the public sector, individuals, everything. Um, we uh, we it's, it's mainly law firms. There there people there are people who have arbitrations, examinations under oath, even court proceedings that they need an interpreter for, and the second. Most and the second most frequent that we get would be would be uh, individuals who want uh, who are trying to get documents translated for immigration or have an immigration interview. So those are our main two. And like I said, we're really trying to break into the medical translation field, uh, focusing on phone interpreting. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, sort of focusing on more of the high end client uh, than just a tr traditional consumer need for a translation. Yeah. And a lot uh, yeah, I'm sorry. A lot of companies um, have, you know, they they won't do these these uh, small interpreting like, or small translations, like a one page for um, an individual who just wants his birth certificate translated. 
Well, we do that because we have a very streamlined process to where we make it efficient and cost-effective. It was quite. It was kind of challenging um, because you have to mail the documents out. You have to make it affordable for the client, and and you still have to make a profit. And we 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 did all that. And there's only a couple companies that can actually do those individual ones, which we do. And we we make profits by the economies of scale that we have because we have, you know, hundreds of people contacting us every day with certified translations, and, and we've streamlined the process. So yeah, gotcha. profit mar the profit margin is smaller, but the the frequency is is much larger, so gotcha. You can you can expand it out. So let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, you obviously have translation uh, skills and abilities, but you can't possibly translate everything that comes across your desk with this business. So who who have your who have you hired, and how many employees do you have? Yes, that's that's obviously. I mean, no one can speak every language. I believe there's over six thousand languages just in India alone, <laughs> and wow. Africa, I believe, has over six thousand languages too. So. There's a lot of languages out there, and there's some dying languages that we also try to preserve. We're really passionate about that. But yeah, like, like I said, I only speak five languages, so I can't. I, I obviously can't do it. But it's nice to because I'm one of the few people who own a translation company that actually is into it, passionate about it. Um, you know, I'm really, I'm really passionate about what we do, and I understand how it works from the bottom to the top because I was an interpreter, I was a translator, I know how it works. Um, but um, we have we have about 90 corporate employees who manage uh, who are we have a marketing department we have um, we have a social media department we have accounting we have uh, project managers we have web designers and developers we have people who manage our shopping carts it's uh, it's a it's a challenge to do all that and then and that's that's the um that's the corporate like the main corporate employees. And then after that, we have uh, over 3,000 translators and interpreters, and they work. They work with us, um, and, and we. It took a long time to establish this, but they're working with us almost every day on translations and interpretations. There, um, we have people in Houston, LA, New York, Miami, and I mean, we just did a large interpretation in Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, we did an interpretation in Russia. Um, we did some in Saudi Arabia and uh, Singapore. So I mean, we we try. What I what I learned when I was doing my MBA, and even in undergraduate, they really told us to focus on on the global market, and that's what I've always done. And it's I mean, everyone's heard this a lot of times. You have to think uh, global and act local, and. And it's it's everyone knows that, but it's kind of hard to understand. I mean, you have to actually really make the people let the people know that you understand their markets. I've probably gone off too, um, too long on something that you didn't ask, but you asked about you asked about how many employees we have. It's ninety in the corporate, and it's a couple thousand translators and interpreters. And so, the, obviously, the the corporate folks are true employees, W two employees, but the uh, translators are they all freelance? Uh, we have a we we it's uh, we have a culture which is quite it's a little bit different. Um, for for some languages uh, such as Swahili, Amharic, Tigrinya, Wolof, some really rare languages, tribal languages in Africa, um, uh, some a language that, like there's a language called Chin in Burma. And, you know these these languages are rare. 
it's hard to give them work every day, but for everyone, for the, for the main ones, uh, they're everyday uh, people. They, they work with us every day, and they have the same loyalty to us as a full-time employee. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Um, and so if, if, uh, if I wanted to work as a translator for uh, day translations, you know, how would that pro how would that work? Would I just sort of tap into the system, do the job, and then get paid on a freelance basis, or would I need to officially get hired, or how how would it work? It's a, it's a it, there's a there's a there's a hiring process. It takes about two weeks um, initially, and then there's training every three months. We have um, we have them apply to our company, and after they apply, we send them uh, we send them a form they have to fill out. And the form asks, asks them, um, you know, it, it, the, it focuses on professionalism. And that's the main thing we try to detect is professionalism, um, you know, and proper, and of course, skills and grammar. After they pass that initial, um, that initial uh, application, you know, um, some of them don't realize that they're being tested on everything they do. Mm -hmm. and, and we do test on everything we do, grammar, punctuation, spelling, everything like that. After that initial process, we give we test them on their translation skills and formatting skills, and uh, we send them documents to translate, and we put uh, d some difficult things in there, cultural nuances that you have to know both languages in order to be able to translate, and we we we, we look for those keywords such as there's words like engaged, you know. That's a hard word to translate in different languages. So we, we, we see how they do it and how creative, you know, because this is a human, a human approach. And translation, I mean, you have, you have to take a human approach because language is very dynamic. And so, you know, it's changing every day. Even with, you know, in the past 10 years, the way people write has changed a lot. They, you know, because of texting and, and multimedia messages and stuff like that, you have to... You have to learn to adjust. So yeah, we, we test them on that, and then after that is uh, finished, we give them an orientation process. Uh, uh, I have designed I have designed an orientation process, um, whereby I have designed an orientation process whereby they they uh, take they take the test, and after they're done with the test, they 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 have to fill out all the information. They give us their address. And we have a database where it goes into, where it organizes them by language. And uh, if they're an interpreter, we have to know their location. And then that way we can look up their location easily after, um, after, we're, uh, after we put them in the system. So for example, if we need a French interpreter in Houston, Texas, we, we get their information. And it's, it's easily accessible by, by the database that we have created. Right. So, yeah. And then every three months we test them because sometimes people get a little bit complacent. So we make sure to avoid that as well. So why is there this, uh, there still seems to be this, obviously I understand for interpreting that you sort of need to have a localized presence, but I would think that for translation services, it could be, you could really, um, there wouldn't be a need for any localized services other than saying this person can, um, can translate this specific language in this specific country. What I mean is, I noticed that you have like an office in Atlanta. So why, why do you need an office in Atlanta? And are there truly people in Atlanta, or is it just one of your uh, translators that happens to live in that area? No, we have actual offices. 
Um, there's not one in Atlanta. Um, there, there is one in there's San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, Dallas, Miami, Tampa, New York, Washington D.C., Frankfurt, Germany, London, Hong Kong, and Dubai. And those are the only places we have real offices. Um, and there is a need for the real offices, and that's that's really a, a, a good question because for a while we weren't uh, we weren't sure about that, and we realized that that there is definitely a big need for real offices. Everything everyone thinks there's a lot of people doing things online, but one issue, and there is really real people working there. <laughs> there's um, it's it's uh, there's an issue. It's an issue of trust. Um, it's an issue of being uh, local. It's a it's an issue of understanding local market. But most importantly, it's an issue of uh, we have to store our interpreting equipment, and we have to um, people people actually have to drop their documents off. Um, for example, there's people uh, we we tell them a lot of times to scan their documents and e email them to us. But a lot of times, because um, we that's another service we offer is document scanning services, and we put them online, and we you know we we store them in the cloud for a lot of clients and. Um, that's one of the services that we offer. So sometimes law firms, especially when there's a big case going on, they'll have a whole box full of uh, documents that need to be translated. Or they can have two or three boxes. And so they want to bring them in. And one of our employees will go through the whole process of scanning everything for them. So um, in some of our offices, we have high-speed scanners where we scan all these documents in that we can translate. We recently had um, a project from, uh, it was from uh, Chile. And they had a lot of corporate documents for a case that needed to be translated, and it was four boxes full of stuff. So they actually had to bring it into the office, and um, and and it's also important, like I said, for the interpreting equipment. We have um, sometimes for interpreting, you need a booth. It's like a square, and I don't know if you've seen the movie The Interpreter or with Nicole Kidman or anything like that. But there's a square that they go in, and then they have a tabletop, and then there's a microphone. And so in the main places where we have big conferences like Washington, D.C. and Houston and, and sometimes Dallas, we have interpreting equipment where the clients, uh, they, will, they will interpret. We have interpreters they, and we have technicians where they come and they pick the documents up and they pick up all the equipment and then they take it to the, uh, then they take it to the event. It's, it's a lot of equipment that you have to set up. So gotcha. we have that in different areas. So it's it's important for us to have offices. It's not just a lot of virtual. And when you're growing, I mean, there's some companies that do everything online. For example, like Google, you know, but they you know they still have a lot of local offices. They they have you know they have offices everywhere, even though most of their work is done online. You know, because it's hard to replace the actual physical presence. is really important. Gotcha. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So what's up with the name? Why day translations? Um, the name is Day Translations because my grandfather's name is Francis Joseph Day. Uh, it, it was Francis Joseph Day. He passed, and uh, it's a family name, and it's it's also very simple. It's Day. It's three letters, so I figured it would be easy to put in the website. Uh, you know, because we also have Day Commerce, and and so um, we try to we try to revolve everything around that name, and it's also. Important because it was it was a big influence on me in my life. Uh, my grandfather was a very organized, professional person, so it's something that reminds me every day to keep myself organized and professional like him. Gotcha. Yeah. So his last name was Day, and my my mother's last maiden name. 
So it's a family name. And okay. it, a lot of times people think it's because we translate, you know, they say, well, you always translate during the day. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, I just, thought it was a playoff of same-day translation. But. Uh, no, 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 it's, it's a family name. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's uh, patented. It, it, the, logo, the, the name is patented. It's been out there for a long time. Right. Yeah. So, uh, backing up a little bit, I was actually surprised to hear you, you have so many offices and so many uh, employees and translators now. You have a, a really big operation here now. So maybe give us a, a little bit of the, of the time frame, the history of, of when you uh, started the company to where you are now. Dates. Okay. okay. Well, um, I was working in the hospital in 2007 as an interpreter. And it, around, I started the idea of making the website and the company around um, June of 2007. And I officially started the company in November 2007. While I was working at the hospital, I, um, I realized that you know, I saved up enough money and I, and I really wanted to take the leap from jumping from just working in the hospital to you know, working on my own. And you know, there's this something in you where, I mean, it's not even like a risk. You, you, there's a point where you feel like you're not even taking a risk. You just feel confident in everything you do, and that's the way I felt. Um, I felt there's no way, you know, that anything could ever go, you know, wrong. Everything's always going to go right, and so I had no worries about about quitting my job. You know, I I was getting so much work, and so I quit the job. And uh, around December of 2007. Hey, Sean, can you hold on one second? Yes. Sorry, give me like give me like 30 seconds. Hold on. Okay. Okay, thanks, Sean. I'm back. A little technical difficulty there. Sorry about that. No problem. So you were talking about risk. Oh yeah, I just felt I felt no risk. I never do, and uh, it's something that people say say it's like a challenge, uh, you know, it's risk taker, but when you're doing what you love, it just never feels like a risk, it just feels like, you know, you're always doing what you want, and that's the, and I feel like the world likes action, you know, business likes action, and so you just have to always be taking action, and that's kind of what I did, I, I'm not going to just sit there and work at my, at, at my job forever and trying to do this, it's, it's, it's not good, you know, and that's and 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 it taught me every everything I do. Like for example, if we have decisions to make at the company, you know, I think about it for a while, and I take I make a decision, you know, and and there's a couple of things that I think are really important to um, being a manager, and uh, one of them is most important things is the ability to make decisions. You know, sometimes decisions that might be problematic for other people or. You know, you have to weigh the options, and then you make a decision. And I think sometimes that's more important than a lot of things. You know, education or intelligence. Even though I think education is extremely important, I, I have a I have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree, but I also think that decision making skills is, are really important for running a business. So, <laughs> in 2007, I was just starting off as a Spanish translation company, and then I had to make the decision whether or not we wanted to do all languages. And that was a huge decision because we were overwhelmed with work just for Spanish. So I was like, how are we going to do all languages, you know? Um, and we eventually got to the point where we, we did get to do, we, we did all languages. And it's like I've had to hire and hire and hire. I've been hiring people all the time. And now it's to the point where we can handle all the languages. All we have to do now is just keep growing and, uh, 
and managing all the clients we have, which we have over 30,000 clients. Um, wow. Present, yeah, so it's, it's really good. And it, the thing is, it's, sometimes it's kind of frustrating to me to know that there's, you know, we probably, we don't have a very large percent of the market share, and there's so much more business out there to be had. There's people who need, who need translations, and I honestly feel like we're the best at it, you know, the, the, the way we handle things, the way we handle our clients and stuff like that. So I, I, I have to find a way to implement our excellent customer service and grow it to be able to handle more clients because we already have the great customer service. I just have to keep it solid like that and keep our company culture. Yeah, so the timeline after 2008, um, we were still doing Spanish, and then near the end of 2008, we did we started doing all languages, and then um, around 2010, we started doing interpretation as well, and I, that's why I actually um, made another site for it called World Interpreting, World Interpreting, so we could just focus on interpreting, um, because I realized it's really good also when you have your own business to diversify, um, you know, with you know, for example, if you're if you're a, if you're a farmer and you grow only oranges, what happens if one day there's you know there's bugs that infest your whole your whole farm and they kill all your oranges? You know, but if you grow oranges, apples, grapefruits, bananas, all those things, then if your oranges if your orange crop goes down, you're still going to have apples, bananas, and grapefruits. <laughs> and so that that's a these are really simple things, you know, very simple concepts that. I think that everyone should know, you know, diversifying these things, taking action and stuff like that. So, you know, that's something that I've always done. And I try to teach that to my employees. I'm not the kind of manager that tries to keep information from them. I'm tr I try to empower them and give them the, work, the ability to work autonomously. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes hard to let go. But, sure. you know, that's another skill that you have to have as a manager. But you've been able to do that uh, fairly quickly, it seems. Um... Wow, that's impressive. So six years uh, going on here. Um, yeah, it's been about four and a half for day translations, but six years for day translations and the Spanish one, which is called your Spanish translation. Gotcha. So a total of six. Gotcha. And you still own the company outright? Yes, yes, I do. I do. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard um, being the one that makes all the all the decisions, but um, it, you know, I, I'm just I'm being patient. There's I'm trying to build people around me that I can trust and uh, in making these these decisions and people who have the same you know mindset as me and the same beliefs that I do uh, which are professionalism and positivity those are my main beliefs gotcha very good well it seems to be working so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the numbers so in terms of sales uh, last year what did you have in total sales um, we we had a we had a few million dollars in sales last year. I don't know if I should get into total specifics, but it's a it's a few million. And um, you know, there's some other uh, you know I've I've done studies about our companies and I've seen the potential for uh, you know you know I would like to have you know be making over a hundred million a year, um, but that is something that we're you know that I have to be patient about, and the the right time will come along to get that. Right. What's your uh, of the of the few million? What percentage would you say uh, you know is is profit? Um, well, 
there's extreme amount of costs. <laughs> there's all there's um, there's you know, I would say that the costs. I mean, the tax rate is around forty percent. So that's that's forty percent gone right there. <laughs> and then um, the, you know the employees, you know they they get a large percentage of it too. So um, I, I have never really thought about the exact percentage. Um, I could, yeah. So I don't know. It's got to be less than. Forty or thirty. I I really don't know. Or <laughs> but really, it's a good business to be in. It sounds like uh, demand is is really there. You've really grown your business out of the demand. It sounds like you haven't had to market your services a lot, right? That is true. I have not had to market our services. Is people are constantly contacting us, but I am trying to you know I'm trying to get more into it. We've done some YouTube uh, commercials. I would like to get them on you know test them on the television sometimes. And uh, we have also done. Um, we're trying to do a radio commercial. I'm going to try to put it on, you know, a couple of radio stations to see how that works. You know, I don't know how how good it's going to work because I think that most of the people when they need a translation, I'm not sure if this is correct, but they would search online on a search engine, or they would go to one of their their associates, or if it's an immigrant, they would probably just ask around, you know, the people that they know. There's different ways, different paradigms and, and viewpoints that people have. You know, you can't just focus only on search engines because there's so many other people out there who don't who don't use them. You know. Right. Now, when you first were getting started, um, it sounds like you know you just sort of had this entrepreneurial spirit in you, and, and there was nothing going to stop you from doing this business. You weren't scared of the risk. You really had a passion for what you were doing, but. You had to have seen some really strong job offers come across, either from more law firms or from the government, who seems to always be in shortage of translation services. Um, you know, what what sort of I guess propelled you from those opportunities, or were those opportunities out there um, to doing your own thing? Um, well, yeah, that's another one thing that propelled me to start my own business. Is the uh, I didn't see the you know weighing the options. I didn't see the opportunity to do what I wanted and be happy doing it. Um, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't earning a lot as uh, at, at working in a law firm. I was not learning earning a lot working in a hospital, and so it wasn't. That, that's one reason why it wasn't that hard of a decision to start my own business. Um, I was, you know, I, I haven't, I didn't look too much into government jobs, um, but I know those are out there and. Uh, you know, I just feel like the, the stability and the ability to, to control your own destiny it was the best decision. So, yeah, and I, I, didn't, I did not have a lot of uh, huge offers out there. You know? Okay, okay. Uh, any advice for a lot of people in that hit our site are freelancers and someone who may have a, uh, a freelance translation skill. Uh, any advice for those types of folks uh, for maybe following in a similar uh, step, you know, path as you? Well, definitely. Um, and most important thing is to be professional in everything you do, especially as a translator. If you're in that field, uh, but if I'm speaking to someone out there who's not in that field, you have to understand to be professional. Um, there's a lot of people who've lost that ability for pro pro professionalism or think it's not very important. Um, they can they might apply to a job and not include a cover letter, and think that oh well that's not required anymore or they might uh, apply somewhere and have a lot of misspellings in the resume, or they might, you know, refer to their their the guy who is interviewing them or the woman who's interviewing them by their first name or 
or like as a buddy, and they might not understand the importance of being professional. Um, right. You know, and and these are things that sometimes get lost. You know, just because it's online or just because we're emailing or texting doesn't mean you have you can be unprofessional. You have to start off as 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 very professional, and then wait to create a rapport with your boss or wait to create some kind of relationship to to test it out and see if that person feels comfortable treating you in a more informal basis. So professionalism is really important and if you're emailing someone or you're doing anything, make sure everything looks professional and is well formatted. Uh, just don't forward your resume off to people uh, with a blank email. So if you're trying to get a job, make sure you're very detailed and specific. Um, if you're applying to a certain job, make sure that you specify the name of the company or the name of the person that you're trying to contact. Um, don't if someone sees that you forwarded something and then you copied a lot of people, and you're trying to apply to like 15 jobs at the same time, and they're all in the CC field in the email. Everyone's going to realize, and they're going to feel less important. Everyone wants to feel important. Even even the owner of a company wants to feel important. Uh, so you have to be specific and um, and um, just make sure that you act very well educated. But professionalism, that's the, that's the main thing that I can. Professionalism and specificity. Gotcha. I like it. Yeah. Um, so initially when you were marketing your services, how did you get your first couple of clients? I actually, uh, I would, that's interesting. The first client I ever had was from a church. Um, it was actually from word of mouth. I was working, uh, I was getting my import-export license in Tampa, Florida. And... Um, one of them uh, needed. There was a there was a church, a Lutheran church that needed a translation. So I drove down there. I, I spoke to uh, the pastor, and he told me he gave me the documents he needed, and I translated them myself. And then then I started going on classifieds, and I would read them. And there were people who needed translations, so I would actually drive everywhere to and speak to these people individually. And then I got. <laughs> I got a large one, and I drove down there, and um, it was for six thousand dollars, and I was really, really excited about it. And um, so I went there, and the guy want, they, they wanted me to stay at their office and translate it. So I actually stayed at their office translating everything for weeks and weeks at a time until I, I made the, the entire money. And um, and so you know, for the first five or six months, I was actually. 75% of the work I was doing was driving around and trying to get translation from people in person, you know. And that's still a, a, a way you can do things, but I mean, you have to measure, I have to spread myself and use the time that I have, you know. And, right. and, and so we focus on just the clients who are contacting us now. I would love to outreach to everybody, but yeah, that's how we started. And our first client was a church. So, so talk about that, uh, that first decision to bring someone else in to help you out. That was uh, that was uh, that was important, and that person is still working at our company. <laughs> um, and no one has ever—that's one thing. No one has ever quit our company. Um, in the whole wow. time we've been in business, no one has ever quit. And um, I try to make a real amenable environment to the employees. And um, so we have—I um, I was working on this this very large translation. And I love languages, but it is kind of hard just to sit there with your hands on the computer and just type all day. <laughs> and and I was and, and I can get a little bit obsessive about things, so I would spend twelve hours straight, you know, typing, just getting up and having a coffee or a sandwich, 
and that's it. And, and a lot of translators will tell you that that's how they live. <laughs> they they'll sit there and they'll translate all day, and then and then they will um, they'll get up and they'll have a coffee, and they won't sleep much if they have a deadline, because most translators can only do about three three to four thousand words per day. And I would try to do five, six, seven thousand a day, and my shoulders would hurt, my hands would hurt. So I was like, I need help. And then I, so I found um, this this woman that uh, uh, that was a mutual acquaintance. She was help. She started helping me with it, and then um, then she was even better than I was at it. <laughs> so I was like, okay, then I'm gonna have a couple people do this, and and then I'm gonna. Then the, the way to even increase the quality was have one person do it and another person proofread it. And so we were getting it translated and proofread. So these translations were, and they still are, this is the way we do it. They're really perfect because we have two or three sets of eyes. We have our translator, then we have our proofreader, then we have our project managers look at it. So we have three people look at it. So yes, then I realized that I can and I have to let someone else do stuff. And so I, I hired more translators, and then I had like three or four of them, and now we have over a thousand. And it's to the point where you can, you have to trust them, and you have to let go, and that's really hard. And I think that's something that's probably really relevant to this podcast. A lot of people have to learn to, to let go, and um, to learn to, you know, trust other people. A lot of people are interested in their own, you know, in their own things. And that's something that they're always going to do. People are always going to be have a self-interest, and you have to accept that. Someone might want to start their own company one day. Someone might might want to leave one day, and and you, but you you know it's your company and you know it's your baby. But you have to you have to understand that and let it go. And you have to realize that on the grand scheme of things, you know, it's your company, and people may come and they may go. Some you know, if you have a store, someone might steal from your store. But you know they're gonna that they steal something with fifty dollars. It's it's okay. It's not okay. But I mean you have to you have to think about the big picture. You know, hiring a lot of people, having a good system in place where you can minimize those kind of events as much as possible. But I mean, what's what's worth more? You know, working yourself to the bone or trusting other people? You know, to help you out and giving them a good environment to work at. And so that's what I'm. I'm still learning to do today. That's awesome. That's yeah. good. That's gold right there. <laughs> uh, so you talk about uh, you. You translate a lot of legal documents. So do you have to have some kind of special insurance to protect you? We do have insurance, and I think I don't. I don't do research on the other companies, but I'm pretty sure that we're one, we're one of the only ones with really good insurance. We have we have very good insurance, and uh, yeah, we we do that. And um, is it professional liability insurance? Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. Yes. Is and, that pretty expensive? Um, it varies. It it varies in price. I mean, you can contact different people in, in different uh, places. You know, I always, I always try to get a deal. You know, everything we sure. do is a deal. Um, we, you know, I try to keep our expenses as low as possible. You know, um, there's if you're a translator, there's you know discounts if you're a translator stuff like that for certain things. <clears throat> but um, I was gonna say. That um, oh yeah, we're also members of different organizations, and one thing is uh, we're better, we're a member of the Better Business Bureau, and uh, I, I think a, a lot of people recognize that even more than the Translators Associations. People recognize that you're a member of the Better Business Bureau, and we have an A rating, <laughs> and that's another thing that's 
I'd point out it's really hard if you're like in a, if you're obsessive about everything being perfect, like I am. Um, you know, if you want to prevent yourself from getting any kind of complaints on there. So now we have a perfect rating on the Better Business Bureau, and I want to, I'm trying to keep it that way. Sure. Um, and if you've been in business for seven years, I'll give you an A-plus rating. So we're coming upon getting that A-plus rating. So, yeah, we, we, for these certifications, um, we've joined a lot of organizations, like, the, you know, the American Translators Association. We're in the Better Business Bureau. We're in a lot of local translators associations, like the New York uh, Circle of Translators. We're in a lot of these because we have an office in New York, and um, that's where you know I spend a lot of my time. And um, there is also something we do a lot of certified translations. So that is a process that that um, you have to be really, really professional about. You have to sign it. You have to stamp it. And a lot of times you have to notarize the documents. So. That's a process, and what I was talking about that we've streamlined to make it affordable for our clients, but we still make a, a small margin. Excellent. Well, this has been great information. I feel like I could talk to you forever uh, since you have such an, an involved company here and such a detailed operation going on. But yeah. I think we'll have to we'll have to end it at this point. Any other uh, questions I forgot to ask that you think would be helpful for people, or or maybe some successes you've had along the way that that might encourage someone else. Um, I think that it's, uh, I, I just think, I mean, people, this is another thing people have said a lot, but I believe it's true, is just to, just to really do what you like uh, and do what you love. A lot of people are always looking for a niche in the market or something like that. Uh, maybe some people have been very successful doing that, but um, a lot of success has been driven out of you know, passion for you know, things that people love. And, and I think that's where mine has come from. Just doing something that I'm really passionate about, and try not to ever not, try not to lose sight of that because that's that's what's most important. Is doing what you love. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Sean, for being on the podcast. Okay. And where can people find out more about you and your company? Uh, they can go to daytranslations.com, and that's where that's where our site is. And they can click on the contact us tab or the about us tab, and um, there's a lot of information about us and what we do. Are you looking for any freelance translators right now? Yes, yes. You make sure to send the resume and the cover letter and uh, okay. click on contact us and you can find the jobs tab right there. Okay. All right. Thanks so much, Sean. Thank you too, sir.